Amen. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Scott. That's marvelous. That's marvelous. I forgot he was doing a third song in the second service, so my early presence here was my fault, not his. But good job. Excellent. Thank you so much. Let me invite your attention to Nehemiah chapter 4. And as I do, let me ask all of you to stand. We're going to pray together, and our children are going to be dismissed to children's worship. All right? Let's pray together. Father, how we bless you. How we thank you for the good news of the gospel of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we can experience a soul transplant. Thank you that we can have a new heart and a new life. And Lord, with his wounded, as battered, bloodied, bruised, and now bitter as sometimes we can be, we know we need that. But Lord, we acknowledge as well that not only have we been hurt by words, but frankly, we've hurt others with our words. And so on both accounts, God, we need that great transplant. Would you come through powerfully and do it now? Would you minister grace in the hearts and lives? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you, church, and please be seated. Hey, we had a great Sunday last Sunday with Friend Day. We had 527 in worship, and we had a great big number in Sunday school. In fact, since we've gone to two services, Sunday school has been up 65 over the previous year. So the two services have actually helped our attendance. And most exciting is that uh, 15 people gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Sunday morning. And there... And then there are five more that are in process. They're asking questions, and we're doing all we can to work with them. And there are, um, there are actually more than that, but five that we have been able to count and recognize. That's why we do a great day like that. You did a great job inviting your friends here. You did a marvelous job praying, and I thank God for you. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah and the Jews are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. These are the walls through which Jesus would walk, the gates at least, to come into Jerusalem uh, a few centuries later. So this is an important work. It was the will of God. But when they arrived and began to work, they were criticized by Sanballat and Tobiah. And so Nehemiah implemented some principles in dealing with that criticism and the conspiracy to come against the work and the will of God that the Nehemiah and the Jews were performing. You know, it's silly how sometimes criticism can be. Reminds me of the fellow who got a new uh, hunting dog, uh, a bird dog, and he trained him. And he trained him so well, he taught the dog to walk on water. When he retrieved a bird, he wouldn't swim. He'd walk on water. He'd retrieve the bird and come on back. And he went hunting with a real negative, critical friend. And he shot a bird, and the dog went out and uh, retrieved it. And he just walked on the water, and he walked on back. And uh, he looked at his critical friend like, well, what'd you think about that? And his critical friend said, well, what's wrong with your dog? Can he swim? <laughs> you know, some people are like that. The guy that invented the steamboat, by the way, had some criticism. There were people that said, it'll never start. It'll never start. It'll never start. It's on the Mississippi River, and they're claiming it will never start as they're standing there. Well, he starts it, and it goes. And that same crowd said, it'll never stop. It'll never stop. It'll never stop. You know, there's just people like that. And today, you've come here today, and you probably are wearing some of those things on your soul. You've been criticized, and you've been wounded, and you've been hurt. Some have said to you, uh, perhaps, it'd be better if you had never been born. Or they've asked you the question, what's wrong with you? So often, you now think there's something wrong with you. Others have said something about your appearance that you just can't get over. 
Others have said something about your intelligence and your future. You'll never amount to anything that you simply cannot get, get over. They said some things about your personality and your character. Some have actually lied about you. They've slandered you. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, by the way, Paul says that uh, we're not to give any room to the slanderer. And it's the same word used there for devil. And so what you have found is that you have found some things attached to your soul. You're putting on a good presentation today. We thank you for that. But if we were to take the flesh off your soul and look at your soul, we'd see bruises and bandages and we'd see some bleeding as well. And I think God's got a word for you. I think he can teach you today and help you get past that as we look at Nehemiah chapter 4. Because they were criticized but they got the job done anyway, and God blessed them real good. And you can t actually take criticism and turn it to your advantage. And I want to ask and answer the question today, how is it that I can do that? And the first thing to do with that is to flip it. Flip the criticism. Flip it. Now, that's what they do in verses 1 through 3. Look what it says here. But so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and, and um, the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, Whatever they build, if a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despise. You need to flip it. Hey, that's what I do when I burn my grilled cheese sandwich. I just flip it and the burn is gone. You can do that with, you can do that with criticism. You can do that with criticism. You can flip it. And I want to encourage you to flip it two different directions. One, flip it forward. Flip it forward. I want you just to imagine that um, someone criticizes you unfairly. It's unjust. It's not justified. There's no foundation in fact. All right? And let's say that they say of you, you're selfish. Okay? Let's say you're not. Let's say not be, you're not being selfish. You've just been misunderstood, and you're actually trying to be a servant. Okay? But let's say they criticize you for being selfish. It's unjust, it's not correct, and it hurts. Let me ask you this. Is it possible that sometime in the future you might be selfish? Is it? You may not be selfish now, and the criticism may be unjust now, but is it possible that in the future you're going to find a temptation to be selfish? Yes. Flip it forward. It may not be just now, but if someone accuses you of something, if they say something about your character, it may not be true now, but God may want to use that as a prophetic warning of something that will arise in the future. Now, I don't mean prophetic in the sense of Bible prophecy. I'm just saying that God knows in the future that someday you're going to be tempted to be selfish and he's giving you a warning. So here's what you do. You flip it forward, but then you flip it up to God as well. That's what Nehemiah did in verse number four. He turned to God and he did so in verse nine and in verse 13 as well. He flipped it up. He gave it to God. And that's what you do with criticism. It may not be just now or it may be. So you flip it forward, then you flip it up, and you go before God and say, Dear God, I've been criticized for this. Dear Lord, I, um, I, 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 I think my heart is pure. I think my motives are right. But dear God, is this criticism true of me? Is it true? Is there something I need to change? 
And then you wait on the Lord to give you some direction and guidance. It shouldn't take very long when you're that humble before God. God hastens to answer those kinds of questions and he will help you. Now, if God confirms in you that you're not guilty of that, you still flip it up because what happens is, is that you're looking to God. Manly Beasley used to say, anything that makes you pray is a blessing. And while you may be the victim of unjust criticism, the truth is, if it has moved you to seek God and to give it to Him and to flip it forward and to flip it up, ladies and gentlemen, it can be transformed into a blessing. Anything that makes you pray is a blessing. You go before God. Now listen to me. Please, oh, hear me, sweet people, that whenever you're criticized, do not just wear it. Do not merely live with it. Do not swim in it. Do not churn in it. Don't do that. Flip it forward. Flip it up. Go before God and keep returning to God until you've got some peace in your heart and soul. Because if you don't, you'll wear it and it will begin to slowly cause your spirit and soul to deteriorate to where you yourself become a critic. And that's oftentimes how critics are produced. They don't get it off their soul. They don't take it before God. They just wear it. They churn over it. They, they think through it. And they either become critical or terribly depressed. You don't want to do that. Just take it to God and stay before God, on your face before God, until you get some peace. So what do you do with criticism? You flip it. You flip it forward and let it be a warning about what you could face in the future. And then you flip it up. You take it to God and let God help your heart and heal your soul and give you some direction about it. But you not only flip it, but there's a second thing that you do. You filter it. Now, verses 1 through 3 talk about Sanballat and Tobiah. They are some local rulers there, and they've got some cities, and they've got some regions. And so they've got uh, prestige. They've got some power. They've got an economy. And the Jews come along, and they propose to rebuild the walls in the city and the temple in the darling city of the world, Jerusalem. It's on a major thoroughfare. It's on a major trade route. It's not going to be difficult for Jerusalem to become the primary city in the region and surpass anything Tobiah and Sanballat are ruling. And so it's very clear Sanballat and Tobiah have got vested interest. And so now you know why they're criticizing Nehemiah and the Jews. They, they, They see them as a threat. And so they try to tear down their work. Nehemiah filters through that. You've got to learn how to filter through criticism. Psalms 1 verses 1 through 3 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalms 1 verses 1 through 3. In other words, it's very wise for you to be cautious about who you listen to even if they're critical. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall suffer destruction. You've got to filter these things. Let me say to you, you run into somebody who's always critical. I mean, they're critical of this, they're critical of that. They're unreasonable, hardly ever justified. They make people sad. Most of the time, you can dismiss them. Maybe not all the time. Maybe one time out of a thousand, they'll get it right. But most of the time, you can dismiss the person who's always critical. I do. Got to. I've been criticized every month of my life since I entered the pastorate. And I'm a big target, okay? 
And so the first thing that you've got to do is that you've got to flip it, then you've got to filter it, and if you run into someone who's just a constant buzzsaw, I mean, they've got the personality of a Poulan chainsaw. I mean, that's just how they are. You can afford most of the time to dismiss them and to ignore them. But if you've got some dear saint of God who's walking with God and the hand of God is upon his or her life, and they've got fruit and they've got a track record of godliness, they've got a track record of success in the kingdom and in spiritual matters, and they never lift their voices to criticize, and they do, you better listen. Every time. They're going to be a marvelous help to you, and they will actually join with you to help you move forward in your walk to change. So you flip it, you filter it. Then there's a, um, well, let let me camp on this for just a minute. If you're given to criticism, and you know you are, okay, just about every person who overly criticizes knows it. You've been told, your children, your spouse, others warn you about it. Okay? Some people are avoiding you. You know it. Listen to me now. Or even if you're not given to criticism, would you please listen to me? You need to be very careful with what you say to people. You've got to be careful with kids. You've got to be careful with a husband or wife. You've got to be careful at your work. You've got to be careful in your church. Do you know why? Look at me. Come here. Somebody might believe you. And if you're wrong, and if your criticism is filled with selfishness, your criticism is filled with fear, your criticism is filled with self-interest. Your criticism is filled with ego. And they believe you. You could ruin a life. You could ruin a marriage. You could ruin a family. You could ruin someone's vocation. You can ruin a church. You've got to be careful. Can I encourage you to do something? If you don't know what the Word of God says about your words, I mean, if you can't quote Proverbs 15.1 and 15.2 and 15.28, if you can't quote right now off the top of your head Ephesians 4.29, if you can't quote Matthew 12, uh, 36 and 37, take a year off from criticizing anybody and start with Genesis and go through Revelation, four chapters a day, you'll cover it in a year, and take out of those texts, everything the Bible says about your words and conform your words to it. And then look to give counsel and advice and when necessary, some constructive criticism. Well, that's a big tall order. I don't want to do that. Well, then I want to ask you, if you won't take God's word seriously, why should anyone take your word seriously? Come on, we got a word for that. Won't take God seriously, but you want to be, what do we call that? No, 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 we don't do that. No, 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 no. We, we have a higher standard when we follow Jesus Christ. We've got a much higher standard. We, if we want to be taken seriously, we've got to take the Lord seriously first, you see. Well, we flip it. We filter it. Then we release it. Look what Nehemiah prays in verses 4 and 5. He said, Hear, O our God, for we're despised. And then he begins to pray in a way that might be somewhat shocking to you. He says about his enemies, 
praying to the Lord. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they provoked you to anger before the builders. In other words, God, I want you to judge them. Now, you might think, Nehemiah, that is a terrible and poor and pitiful example. Well, I'll just be honest with you. Nehemiah is here, and the, uh, they, they've got some difficulty. They're just starting over again in Jerusalem. Okay, they're kind of weak. All right, and he's got a lot of authority. He doesn't have much of a military, though. Nehemiah is trying to prevent a holocaust before the holocaust. That's what he's trying to do. So before you start criticizing Nehemiah, why don't you go put yourself into a Holocaust situation where your life is in danger? And and then let's talk about Nehemiah's prayer. But there's a second thing I want you to notice. Nehemiah is the governor of Jerusalem and that surrounding region. He has access to the king back in the land where he was cupbearer. Esther is either on the throne or she is the queen's mother. He's got access. Mordecai's around still as well. So he's got access to some power. It's just off in the distance. So he's got access to all of this power. He's got access to uh, the king's ear. The king really has a lot of faith in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah doesn't use a single one of those resources. He's kind of like David. David was president, legislature, and court system all wrapped up into one person. And he was the head of the military. And so often David, and here Nehemiah, did not use the instruments of government and use their uh, government power to come after their enemies. Instead, what both of them did and others like them is that they kept it in their prayers to God. That's what they did. So Nehemiah, far from being an appalling example, is actually a very good example. And don't look at me spiritual. You feel this way sometimes too. You're not all that. You get angry with people. You get angry in prayer. You do. I mean, if you could spit on their shoes, you'd set them on fire. We we get that way. So so don't look at me spiritual. You're not all that spiritual, okay? When someone criticizes you, you're shocked by it, and then you mourn and you grieve, and then the third stage is you get angry, and then eventually you end up resolving it. You've got to work through all of that, especially with an intense focus on prayer and the presence of God and His promises. You'll go through that. You'll want to pray just like Nehemiah did, just like the Jews did in Psalms 137. See, effective prayer is not only praying right prayers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Effective prayer is not only praying the right kind of prayer, it's praying real prayers and getting real before God. And that's how you work through this. And if you don't work through it, you're going to find yourself becoming a critic yourself. Release it. Release it. But there's a fourth thing, and that is contain it. Verse number six, I want you to see how they reacted. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah, they've got access to military and the instruments of government. They come against the Jews. They eventually put together a plot. And I want you to see how they respond in verse number six. So we built the wall. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. God wanted them to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And when opposition came, they gave up, didn't they? They submitted the, uh, to the will of those around them, didn't they? Is that what they did? No. They did the will of God no matter what people were saying. They had a mind to work. And they built it. Listen to me carefully. There is never, ever 
There is never, ever, say it with me, there is never, ever an excuse to abandon the will of God for anyone. Never. There is never a time when it is appropriate to take people and put them in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your job and my job and the job of every institution God has ever founded is to do the will of God, leave the consequences with Him, and trust Him all the way. Don't you believe? So you never abandon the will of God just because you're criticized. You always do it. Jesus put it this way. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you in Matthew 6.33. And so you contain it. You've got to take the criticism, flip it, filter it, release it, make use of it as best you can, and then determine I'm going to do the will of God no matter what. Hey, there are a lot of us in ministry today that wouldn't be in ministry if we didn't do this. Almost everyone I know that went into ministry got criticized and was opposed by somebody. But we've been blessed by so many of them. The, 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 four, the fifth and final thing to do with it is to spread it. Spread it, verses 7 through 23. Nehemiah here ends up spreading the responsibility for handling all of this in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. He also did in verses 13 and 14. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall, the openings, set the people according to their families with sword, spears, and their bows. And then he said in verse 14, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight, your, fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Nehemiah knew we can do more together than we can alone. Listen, when you get isolated, when you're alone, you're vulnerable. Whenever you, however, are immersed in a group of godly people headed the same direction Jesus wants us to head, when you're like that, let me tell you something. You then have access to balance and perspective and feedback that you can't find anywhere else in this world that will help you, that will help you deal with criticism, that will help you filter through, flip it, release it, contain it. And so, don't get yourself isolated. Don't walk alone. That's why a robust, dynamic, growing relationship with a local church and small group is so vitally important. Satan is afraid of convoys. Satan is afraid of armies. When you unite together, you become a powerful, united force, and you can get through. That's why every Sunday we invite those who know the Lord to become part of Beach Haven. And if you don't, turn to Christ, we'll baptize you, and immediately make you part of Beach Haven. Hey, it's not brain surgery. You need a group of godly people with whom you can walk through the vicissitudes and the challenges of life. Now, I want to leave you with one more verse, and I want us to turn a bit and pivot some. I've talked mostly about you being a victim and on the receiving end of unjust criticism. I want to talk now about maybe some of the words that you've said. And this is not going to be a happy moment. Jesus wasn't always, Jesus wasn't a joy boy like you find on television, okay? Matthew 12, 36. Whatever careless word men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. Every careless word 
men shall speak, they shall render a account for it on the day of judgment. Do you know that communism of the 20th century was launched with words? And it's responsible for the death of about 100 million people. Global terrorism launched and perpetrated with words. Social media, by the way. Chaos in our nation, it's mostly words. See? A lot of depression that people face launched because of words. Suicide, oftentimes rooted in someone else's words. No wonder Jesus said, every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. This is serious business. Hey, listen, listen. It is a serious thing to have a mouth and a voice. It is real serious to God. It is an enormous responsibility to have vocal cords and the ability to speak. It is very, very important because people's lives, futures, and eternities hang on these things. So whatever careless word men shall speak, they shall render account for it on the day of judgment. Well, the good news is there are other words. In fact, Paul would say in Romans 10, the word is near you in your mouth, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As much harm and as much sorrow as we have caused with our words, they are not bigger than God Almighty. His grace and love surpasses it all because Jesus bled and died and rose again. There is grace and forgiveness if you've caused harm with your words. And God's inviting you with his word to come. Gather and collect all the grace that you need and take more than you need because there's plenty. He'd love to give it to you. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you in Jesus' name for the good news of the gospel. Thank you so much for your word. And I want to pray that you'll come through now and help.